This morning, we're going to focus in on worship. Uh, worship is what we give ourselves over to. Worship is what we focus on in our lives. Worship is what we are devoted to. And we are created to worship. Everyone worships. Everyone in this room worships something. Uh, everyone you encounter today, you bump into at the store today, worships something. We are created to worship. Uh, that's how God made us. Uh, sometimes we, we give that fully to God and give him our full worship. Other times we get somewhat divided and we find, out, we find ourselves worshiping other things. Uh, that's just something that happens. A couple years ago, I went to a, a concert. You guys remember concerts, like large gatherings with live music? Remember those? Uh, I went to a concert a couple years ago at Red Rocks Amphitheater near Denver. It's an outdoor amphitheater with huge rock formations along the side of it that really creates great acoustics. And there were several thousand people there to watch this artist named NF, and he was down on the stage, and it was just him, he, all by himself, pretty much. And for two hours, we were locked in on him. We were focused on him. Uh, everything he did, we cheered. Every word he said, we, we tried to echo back. We, we watched him carefully for those two hours. Uh, people were closing their eyes as he was singing. I saw somebody tearing up at one song. Uh, you could say there was worship at that concert. We were devoted to him for a little while. A couple of weeks before that, I'd gone to my first NFL football game. It was a preseason game, so the tickets were cheaper. I could get in. And um, I'm not going to bring up who was playing. It's just not important. <laughs> it's not a big deal. I'm learning. Don't bring that up. So I, it's not, it doesn't matter who was playing. Um, it was preseason, so the stadium was filled with people talking about, I wonder who's going to be on the field today, who's going to be the starting line, the starting quarterback, and discussions about that, debates, and, um, and then the, team, the teams came out, and we cheered, and for three hours, we were focused on the field, every play uh, got a response from us, and there were even people in the stadium that had painted their face different colors to match their team. They were fully devoted to that team. You, you could say there was worship in those moments watching that game. Maybe in the last few weeks you've watched the news, you've sat and watched the news reports at night and uh, the world events going on, this political maneuvering, the, the, the news of the day, and as you watch that, as the stories were reported, there may have been some anxiousness that rose up inside of you, maybe even some anger as you watch certain stories. And, and then maybe there was a good news story that brought some some peace to you, some, some hope came into your heart because of some good things that are happening in the community. Perhaps the, the reporter uh, just spoke some words of calm that helped you to settle down a little bit. Um, as we're taking this in, as we're taking in the news, there's the possibility of worship taking place as the, the news anchor almost becomes a spiritual anchor that gives us some, some, something firm to stand on, we feel like. It's amazing how when we see and, and, and hear the knowledge of the day, the news of the day. Something about knowledge makes us feel like we have a little bit more control and we like having control. You could say there's worship when we take the news in. We all worship something. We all worship someone. That's how we are created. It could be our kids. It could be our social media feeds. It could even be Joanna Gaines. You know, we all worship something or someone. I'm pretty sure you're here this morning because you want to worship God. You came into the church. Nobody stumbles into church. People come into a church building because they're believing that God's at work in the world and they want to experience his presence. They want to see him at work in their life. You're here this morning, I'm guessing, because you want to devote yourself to the Lord. You want to hear from God. You want to experience his presence in this time. And that's why we've gathered. Worship, worshiping God means you bend your heart toward him. You lean toward God. You move toward him. When we worship God, we are treasuring him 
with our whole hearts. Worshiping is treasuring God with our whole hearts. What happens in our hearts matters. And so this morning, we're going to look at a story about worship. And this is a story about the second king of Israel, a guy named David. And uh, we're going to look at David's story, his heart for worship, his focus on God. We know more about David than just about anybody in the, the scriptures. Jesus, we probably know more than, about Jesus than David, but David is a close second. There's several books in the Old Testament written about his life. Uh, his poems and his songs fill the, the Jewish hymn book in the middle of your Bible, the book of Psalms. And so there's so much we can read that he wrote. There's so much about his life we can read, his narration. So we know a lot about David. And so we're going to look at his call into the kingship. It's found in 1 Samuel 16. So if you've got a Bible with you, if you want to open up to 1 Samuel chapter 16 or open up that Bible app on your phone and find that address, 1 Samuel chapter 16. Samuel, the book of Samuel, obviously is named after Samuel. We, we looked at Samuel's origin story last Sunday. His mom, Hannah, wasn't able to have kids, so she cried out to God, and, and God heard her, and, he, and she was able to have a son, and she named him Samuel. And she said, because he's a gift from God, I'm going to entrust him into God's service. So when he was old enough, she took him to the temple, and he became an apprentice in the synagogue there, in the, in the Jewish religious leadership, and uh, she left him to do that. And God was gracious to her. She had other kids, other sons and daughters, and, and she was able to celebrate Samuel's life. And Samuel became a leader for the people of Israel. He, he became an authority for them. He was their government. He was their judge. He was their pastor. He was their authority. And they looked to Samuel to lead them through life. And then after a season, they began to want someone else leading them. They wanted to have a king. All the nations around them had kings, and they began to wish for a king. And so God said, I want you to give them what they want. And he said, there's a man named Saul. I want you to anoint Saul as the first king of Israel. And so Samuel found Saul and anointed him. And we find out in, in chapter 9 of 1 Samuel, where Saul is described to us, it says, he was an impressive young man without equal among the Israelites, a head taller than any of the others. Saul was impressive and tall. That's what set him apart. That's what made him stand out. He, he had a good look about him, but we quickly learned that height is not all that matters, that what's going on on the inside matters. And, and we learned that quickly with Saul. One of the things we find out with him is that outward appearance is never a reliable indicator of inward character. What you see on the outside does not always match what's happening on the inside. And the people of God learned that quickly with Saul. They, he may have been tall outwardly, but inwardly he cowered when he was around people. He was insecure. And his insecurity came out in dangerous ways. So when uh, it was coronation day, when they were excited to, to put the crown on the first king, all these people traveled into town and, and came to the ceremony and they called out the family of Saul and then they called out Saul and they couldn't find him. And he was hiding among the luggage of all those people that had traveled to see him. He was so insecure, he, couldn't, he didn't want to even be up front of them. But that insecurity, it moved from hiding to harassing pretty quickly. Once he realized he had some power, he moved from hiding in his, in his insecurity to harassing. And, and that's sometimes what happens with uh, insecure leaders. They push other people around with their position of authority instead of serving them from their hearts. And we see that happening with Saul here. His insecurity eventually caused him to, to lose the way of God. The Spirit of God is removed from him. And God said to Samuel, okay, Saul's out. I want you to find a new king. I want you to anoint the second king of Israel, the next one who's going to lead. And that's where we pick up the story here. 1 Samuel 16, verse 1. 
And you, you probably have a little title over verse, uh, chapter 16, Samuel anoints David. Okay, that's a little bit of what's going to happen here. Verse 1, the Lord said to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. So God says to Samuel, now Samuel had walked with Saul, had poured oil on him, anointed him as king, had mentored him. He had, he had a connection with Saul. He had great hope for this first king. So Samuel's distressed. He's upset that it's not working out with Saul. And God, in, in all of his compassion, says, Samuel, get over it. <laughs> Just get over it. I, I am moving on. We're going to find a different king. He says, I want you to go to Jesse of Bethlehem. Now, Bethlehem should stand out to you, right? Bethlehem. It's the Christmas town, Christmas village where Jesus was born. Um, Jesus comes in the line of the kings. So King David is, is his ancestor, and Jesus the king looks back to the line of Jesse to the town of Bethlehem. Let's go on to verse 2 here. So God says, go anoint this new king. But Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. The Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate. It's interesting that Samuel says, how can I, how can I go? It's the first, one of the first times we see Samuel uh, getting a little shaky, getting a little anxious. Um, he, he was often a man of power, spiritual kind of fortitude, but here now he realizes there's a king that's over me, an authority over me, and he could take my life. Because how am I supposed to do this when this king could take me out? And we see Samuel here uh, just worried before God, and God goes into stealth mode. And he says, okay, listen, Agent Samuel, here's your mission, should you choose to accept it. Um, take a cow and, and say you're going to make a sacrifice, and then the rest of the mission will be revealed to you. And it's like stealth mode. Here's what we're going to do. So Samuel responds. And uh, look at verse 4. Samuel goes and did what the Lord said. And when he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him. They asked, do you come in peace? And Samuel replied, yes, in peace, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. I think it's interesting how the leaders of the town respond when Samuel shows up. Do you come in peace? You know. Is this going to be a good day or a bad day, Samuel? It's kind of when I go into some meetings, sometimes people ask me that, Pastor Nate, do you come in peace? You know, I'm like, wouldn't you like to know? You know, here we go. Uh, it just tells you a little bit about Samuel, that he was a person of authority, and he would come into a, a group of people, into a town, into a family group, and, and, they, and sometimes he brought a blessing. He would bring encouragement. God is with you. You're doing well. You know, and he, he would encourage them. Sometimes he came in with discipline, with correction or even something scarier than that. And so these leaders say, are you, are you coming in peace? And then he consecrates them, and he says, consecrate yourselves. We're going to worship God, he says. We're going to make an offering. We're going to lift ourselves before God. We're going to worship him. You've got to prepare for that. You've got to get ready for the worship. So he says, consecrate yourselves. Verse 6, go ahead and read the rest of the story here. When uh, the sons of Jesse, when they arrived, Samuel saw Elab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands before me, the firstborn. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things human beings look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, The Lord has not chosen this one either. 
Jesse then had Shema pass by, but Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen any of these. So he asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? Well, they're still the youngest, Jesse answered. He's tending the sheep. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. Samuel knows how to motivate people. You, you want to eat, you get David here, all right? We're not eating until the youngest shows up. Verse 12, so Jesse sends for David and had him brought in, and he was glowing with health, had a fine appearance and handsome features. Again, the outside, right? Here's the exterior. But this time, Samuel doesn't jump ahead. He doesn't think, oh, this is the one. He waits. He waits. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came on David in power. And Samuel then went to Ramah. We don't get David's name till the end of this little story about his coronation as king. He's the youngest, the shepherd, the least. He's the one forgotten out in the fields, pretty unlikely to be king, but he's the one that God chooses. And we see Samuel cut off again by this. He sees the first son, and he says, well, that's a tall guy. He's, he's a good-looking, strong fellow, you know, just like Saul was. And Samuel's like, this must be the one. And God is helping Sam, uh, Samuel to understand something greater. He says, I'm not stuck on the outside. I'm looking past the appearance that you see, and I'm looking at the heart. In verse 7, we read these words, the Lord does not look at the things that we look at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. God looks at what's going on inside, what's what's showing itself through the inside. God focuses on the motivation, the internal drive, the ways that people think about others, the way they think about themselves, the what they fill their minds with. God is looking at the heart. And years later, one of David's choir directors, Asaph, would write these words about David uh, in Psalm 78. He chose David his servant and took him from the sheep pens. From tending the sheep, he brought him to be the shepherd of his people, Jacob, of Israel, his inheritance. And David shepherded them with integrity of heart. With skillful hands, he led them. David shepherded with integrity of heart. The fact that David was a shepherd, which again was one of the lowest kind of roles in that society of the day. David was the youngest son. That's why he was out with the sheep. He didn't matter. Get out there and do something mindless that we don't, you know, we, forget, we even forget you're out there, David. And, and you're to protect the sheep. If you get killed by a, a wild animal, I got another son that will head out next, you know. Just get out there and do it. David went from a shepherd to a king, but God was using his shepherding years to form him and, and, and gift him and, and call him into this role of shepherding the, shepherding the people of Israel. And he did it with integrity, integrity of heart. This is not how Saul led the people. Saul led from insecurity. David led from integrity. Saul was unsure of God, shaky, didn't know if he could actually use him, didn't want to wait on God's timing. There were places where he knew he had to wait for God to move, but the people were so loud, he decided to go with the people instead. Both Saul and his insecurity and David and his integrity, they both led from the same place, from the heart, but two very different things came from inside of them. Saul's corruption, David's integrity, came from this place inside of them that could lead to life or it could lead to death. And, and Jesus talked about this. He once said that a good person brings the good treasure out of his heart. It produces good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, a person's mouth 
speaks. What's inside comes out. What we carry around in our hearts, our life creates. What our heart treasures, our life teaches. What's inside of us comes out. We need to think about what we're bringing in to our hearts, what we're invited into our lives. It matters. Why does God look at the heart? It's because it's from the heart that we worship. The heart is what causes us to be devoted to things and to people and to objects. It's the heart that worships, and God cares about our hearts because he is calling us to worship him, to be devoted to him, and he knows that starts in our hearts. And this is why we're called to protect our hearts. This is why we're called to to be careful about what we allow into our hearts, to stand guard around our hearts. We see this in Proverbs 4. Listen carefully to my words. Don't lose sight of them. Let them penetrate deep into your hearts, for they bring life to those who find them and healing to their whole body. And then the wise man says this, guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Guard your heart because what is in your heart comes out. It will determine how your life goes, what's going to happen in the days ahead. Protect your heart. One of the ways to guard your heart is to focus your worship on God. One of the ways to protect what's going on inside of you is to make sure that you are worshiping God and God alone, that you are pursuing the one who made you and knows you and loves you, that you are devoting yourself to him. As you fill your mind and heart with worship to God, there's just not space for the other competing idols, the other things that compete for your heart. Focus your worship on God and and you'll be protecting what is going on inside of you. I have to be honest with you, over the last 90 days, three months, um, I've had a tough time staying focused on God. It's been difficult for me to keep my worship focused on Him. Moving is, is pretty challenging kind of stuff, packing boxes, ending bills, starting new bills, you know, painful goodbyes, hopeful hellos, um, all the changing, all the shifting, uh, new names, new, new communities, new streets, and, and all of that is just swirling around my heart, and it's, it's been difficult for me. I can feel the defenses weakening. I can, I can see how I'm vulnerable to my heart being divided because of all the events of the last few months of my, my life with my family. I'll let you know a little bit about me. Kind of, this is a little snapshot of, of who I am. As we're packing up boxes in Denver, getting ready for the move, uh, is my great plan. We're, we're putting numbers on every box. We're putting a certain color tape on the box, depending on what room it's coming from. And so then I've got a clipboard, right? And on my clipboard, I've got box number. I've got the color of the tape on the box, and then I have a little bit of a list of what's inside of that box. I am watching our stuff closely. You know, I am taking inventory. I'm, I'm aware of what's going on. And so we had 183 boxes load up in the truck on Denver. That's a lot of boxes. We load 183 boxes in Denver. The truck got emptied out about two weeks ago. 182 boxes arrived at our house here in Kansas. One box was missing. Guess what I've been thinking about for two weeks? <laughs> right? I can tell you it's box 53. Box 53. It's got white tape on it because it's from our bedroom. And it had in it some of my shirts and some of my socks. Really important stuff. (laughs) But that is all that I've been focused on. Okay, it's not all. But I am focused on box 53. Where is it? Who's got it? Why is it not in my house? Whose house is it in? I had someone after the first service say to me, well, maybe somebody else just needed that box more than you needed it. I said, get out of here. It's my stuff. (laughs) 
<laughs> where is it? I want to know where box 53 is. It's so easy for us to worship other things than God, right? It's so easy for us to get focused on things that fill our hearts and our minds, that take up our energy, that get us worked up, and God continues to look at our hearts and say, worship me, trust me, look to me. He's like, I got box 53, Nate. Don't, don't you worry about box 53. You trust me. I can get you some other socks. Now I've got something else to worry about. <laughs> Is my battery going to die? So, you know, trust me, know me, worship me. That's what God continues to invite us into. Our hearts, they can so easily drift so that's why scripture says, protect your heart, stand guard around your heart. One of the ways to protect your heart is to focus your worship on God, keep him in the center of your life. A second way to worship, uh, to, to protect your heart, a second way to protect your heart is to be a person of integrity, to allow what is inside you to match what's outside you, to, to not fall into the trap of performing in front of people or putting on a mask or pretending that you're someone that you're not, be true to who you are be a person of integrity like David was. David was a person of integrity. Things that have integrity keep their shape. You know, if you think about an object or a, a something someone crafts, an artist makes, things with integrity keep their shape. They, they don't break down. They stand firm. And that's true for things and people. People with integrity, they keep their shape. They don't break down. We see this in David's life. Uh, not too long after he was anointed as king, um, he went out to the battlefields to see his brothers. They were soldiers, and they were fighting another nation called Philistia. So he went out to the battle lines to kind of bring food to his brothers and see how they're doing. And the Philistines was this, this enemy for Israel. And they had a great warrior named Goliath. He was their hero. He was gigantic. He was huge. He carried around these shields and spears that were just weighed tons, you know, just huge guy. And he is out on the battlefield, and he says, give me your best fighter, and me and him will fight. Mano y mano, we'll take it on. And whoever loses, that nation loses. You know, whoever wins, if I win, my nation wins, and we get to take you over. And so no one from Israel's side will go out to fight Goliath. He's intimidating. And David comes, and he sees this happening. He sees Goliath belittling the people of God. He sees Goliath making fun of his God. And David says, this is not, I'm not going to sit back and watch this happen. We're going to do something about this. I'm going to get out there. I'm going to fight. And everybody's still stuck on the outside. They're all like, you're too small. There's no way. You're a shepherd. You can't do that. He won't listen to his brothers. He goes to King Saul. He says, King, I will go out and fight that giant. And the king says, there is no way you can defeat Goliath. He's been fighting battles for decades. You're just too young and too small. There's no way. They're all stuck on the outside. But David eventually convinces him. And so Saul says, okay, you can go. And Saul says, I want to give you my armor. I want to give you my sword, the best we have as a nation. This is the king's armor. You can wear it, and you can go and fight Goliath. And here we see in, in 1 Samuel 17, this little part of the story, David strapped Saul's sword over the armor and tried to walk. But he couldn't because it was, he wasn't used to wearing them. I can't fight with all this, David said to Saul. I'm not used to it. So he took it all off, and he went out. So as a shepherd, he's, he's not used to armor and swords. A shepherd had a staff and a slingshot. I mean, that's the weapons that he knew. That's who he was. And so instead of putting on somebody else, someone else's way, instead of putting on someone else's armor, he said, I'm going to be true to who I am. I know what I can do. I know who I am. I can't imagine the pressure 
David had as he stood before Saul and his courtyard and all the other soldiers behind him watching him try on this armor, all the pressure he had to go out and fight with someone else's gear on. And David's just like, that's not who I am. That's not how God created me. That's not what I'm good at. I'm going to be true to who I am, and I'm going to go fight the way I know how to fight. That kind of integrity allowed David to protect his heart, and it, it's what helps us protect our hearts as well. As we know who we are, and we stand in who we are, God created me this way. It's different than maybe that other person, but I know who I am, and I'm going to be who God created me to be. That kind of integrity can protect your heart, and it's, it's one of the things we need to do. David knew who he was, and he walked in that way. So protect your heart through worshiping God alone. Protect your heart by being a person of integrity. And know that you were created to worship, that you are going to, you are going to worship. You are. And, and you get to choose who that is that you're going to worship. And God says, I'm, worship me. I created you. I know you. Surrender to me. Trust me. Walk with me. Lift your voice to me. Let me be your focus of devotion and love and worship me. I want to invite Daniel to come up. And, and Daniel's been leading us in worship for 13 years. And um, I asked Daniel just to share some ways that he would encourage us as fellow worshipers to be prepared to worship. What are some advice that Daniel would give to us as a worship leader to help us worship God with our whole heart? So Daniel, just share some stuff with us. Yes. We had a box delivered though. I just want to let you know in our Amazon came, it said 53 on it. It's crazy. Oh, man, okay. I'm going to get you to pack for me next time. <laughs> well, you know, when Nate asked me to do this, it's like, what prepares my heart? And, and uh, you know, for me, it's, it's looking at God, getting my eyes on Him, my focus on Him. And I think worship is mostly about God anyway. It really doesn't have anything to do with us. And... You know, it's, it's not about who I am or what I have or how I'm doing what I'm doing. It's, it's who he is because he made me for himself. He made you for himself. And so when we see him, it draws out what is inbuilt in us. It's built in. It, we're wired for that. We're made for that. It's just natural to worship God. Just like your baby, when he was born, she was born. You didn't have to teach that baby to reach out to you, to cry when it needed a diaper change or was hungry, or to reach up. I remember when my son David, my very first son, I remember he was just laying there. I'm thinking, is that all they do is just lay there? But when he struggled to get up in his baby bed, he was staying there. I came in the room and I said, it stands up. And, and he was standing there. Then. When I got close, he, his, both his hands went up like this. And he fell back, but his hands reached up to me. Now, he didn't go to a seminar to learn to do that. It wasn't a learned behavior. It's in him. That's the way God made us, just like that. To come back to him. Why? He made us for himself. So when I, when I see who God is, it just comes natural because he put it there. So I'm going to read several passages of Scripture that just kind of outline uh, some of, of uh, God describing himself and what he's done. And uh, maybe you'll have the same response I do. Romans 11, verse 33 says, Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. 
Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay him? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. And in Acts chapter 17, verse 24. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Because he himself gives life to all men and breath and everything else. From one man he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he determined the time set for them in the exact places where they should live. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. Then in Revelation chapter 4, verse 11, as the elders fall down and they cast their crowns before the throne, this is what they say. You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things, and by your will, they were created and have their being. And I like the King James rendition of this verse. It says, for you created all things. For your pleasure, they were created and have their being. So when I come before God, I just think of him creating me for his pleasure. And the rest just happens because the natural response is to get into that pleasure and enjoy Thanks, Daniel. When we worship God, we are treasuring him with our whole hearts. So I'm going to invite you to worship now, to come before the one who knows you, the one who created you, the hope that you're looking for, he has it. The strength that you need today, he's offering it to you. The peace that your, your heart desires, he's holding. So let's treasure him. Let's be devoted to him. Let's focus on him. And let that be the story of our lives. And this is just practice for that. So will you stand and let's sing together.